22 and beginning here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take your seats. So much. Uh, it is a joy to gather here. If you'll look at the first slide up there, it should say Happy New Year. A Happy New Year is a plea. It is, uh, it is the secular world's wish that things would be heavenly. You know, has anybody ever wished you a different kind of New Year? Have you ever thought about what it would be like if you wished people a bad year? May misery be your, your, uh, uh, your, your, comp- your companion. You know, obviously we don't have to wish people to have difficulties uh, because Jesus told us about difficulties. Uh, everybody has trouble sufficient for every day. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, we just sang, morning by morning, his mercies are renewed. That comes from lamentation from Jeremiah the prophet who uh, was struggling. He lived in an era where things weren't so great where the government wasn't so popular. They had made some bad decisions, and there were, there were other armies from outside of, of the uh, uh, covenant community that were actually not only pressing in upon them, but had taken over. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he was the preacher man when he was watching the church of, of the Lord being dismantled brick by brick so that the occupying forces could take the gold, that they could have all the money and all the wealth. And and that communicated to the people of the world that there was no God anymore in Israel. People were wondering, where's God? He can't even take care of his own people. Now, that's when you have the, uh, the plea and the lament. Mercy, God's mercies are renewed every day. Or as we just sang, morning by morning, his mercies I see. Uh, if you bring up the, uh, the word cloud, the reason I believe we can have a happy new year is because God has not abandoned us. God has not left us. God has not gone on vacation. Now, he may go with the snowbirds down to the south, but he's still going to stay with us too because God is everywhere present, whereas we can't be. And it's a beautiful thing when you realize that the word cloud tells us uh, one of the things we want you to know, you're in a Bible-believing church. You are in a place where the gospel is going to be communicated every single time that you gather here. You're not going to be bored with it because it's our hope. It is, it's like oxygen into our lungs. Uh, when you think about how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything, that's why we can wish you a happy new year. And that's why we can wish you a Merry Christmas. For unto you is born a Savior. And that Savior didn't go away just because December 31st came or because some ball dropped from some kind of a mechanical place on top of a building. We have good news. And that is why we can encourage people to have optimism and faith and encouragement. Today's text is coming from the book of James. And as we open the inerrant, inspired, infallible word as it was given in the originals, I'm taking you to start a new theme. So those of you that have the bulletin card in front of you, and if you've been looking at the slides, you've been seeing the picture of the ship. When you look at the picture of the ship, what do you see? You see rough seas. Now, you've been a boat guy. What do you see? You see pain and aggravation. Uh, <laughs> this guy was actually done cross-Atlantic ships tra- travel. How big was your boat? Not big enough, 128 feet. Not big enough, 128 feet. That sounds pretty small. Uh, 
So the idea of going through some rough seas, uh, you realize that there's pain and aggravation. It's not smooth sailing. Okay, the illustration today is going to pick up from that, from the book of James. Now, those of you that uh, love the book of James, uh, you have good reason to. James speaks the language of a person that's struggling. James speaks our language. Who in here hasn't struggled? Who has, who has already lived as if you're already in heaven? Where, where there's no problems. I really appreciated the testimony at the end of the last service where I had the little video of my mom speaking. Uh, and she was, uh, she was probably, she told me she's now at 50%. Back then she was probably at 25%. And uh, as she gave that Christmas blessing to all the children and grandchildren, and uh, as they used to say down south, bless her heart, she had eight of them that lived. So that tells you a lot about mom and dad. Uh, they, they loved family. But mom's testimony rang true. She's saying, Jesus is the light of the world. And now that she's feeling better, she still will tell you the same thing. She's looking forward to her 90th birthday uh, that's going to happen in just a few days on the 15th or so. Um, trying to get together all these family members, uh, and, she, and, and we all know the message she's going to give us. Uh, she, we all know, you know, mom is predictable, and that was part of her strength. We knew what mom was going to say, and we even know what mom will say now. When you have opportunity, she will proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, if you, uh, if you know about James... James is writing in, I want to just start off before we read the text to give you a little prelude. Um, the book of James was written to Christians. This was probably about 10 to 15 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. So if you think about it, Jesus did his three years of ministry. He dies on the cross. He was buried for the part of three days. He rises from the dead. And then after a period of a month or so, a little more, he ends up ascending to heaven. Now, as he's ascending to heaven, he gives this challenge, according to Ephesians, he gives leadership gifts to the disciples, and he calls them pastors, evangelists, prophets, and apostles, and uh, he ends up wanting them to go into all the world and proclaim the good news. Now, the good news was that death could no longer hold its prey. That even though we all deserve the wages of, uh, of sin, which would be separation from God, because if we're in Christ, he could rise from the dead. If we're in Christ, we do not have to be held by death any longer. And that's why in Romans, we'll get to it, uh, death cannot, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because if we're in Christ, we have all of this good news. But the problem was, is that it didn't change the world that they knew. Oh, it was changing things in the world. But instead of things getting nicer and nicer for people that were following Jesus in the way, uh, things became a little bit more difficult. And if you open up the book of James, you're going to find it uh, where he says in, at the first verse, uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, <laughs> how many of you have been dispersed? In that word is, it's like a pregnant word. When you start thinking about it and looking into it, you're going to say, wow, I want to be a part of that dispersion. I want my family to be split up. I want to be able to have to go all the way around the world and not be able to be comfortable anymore. I might have to leave my own stuff. I won't even be able to sell it. I'm just going to have to flee. This is the kind of situation that many of the people that were trusting Christ were facing. Now, 
You might argue and say, well, what kind of a God lets his people suffer like that? Great question. And you will find that when the church of Jesus Christ is not conforming to the world, when the church of Jesus Christ is not becoming friends with the world, you're going to find that the world persecutes the church. And guess what happens to the church? It grows. The problem is, is when we conform to the world uh, and, and we are not transforming, that's a big, big problem. But when we don't conform to the world, then James has words for us. And this is what, I believe this was the first book written in the New Testament era. This was the first epistle that came out after Jesus died, was buried, and ascended. Now, many people got to see the apostles. They got to see some healings. They, they saw some fascinating things because the power of the Holy Spirit had been unleashed. And uh, during that first century, during those, those first decades, uh, it was an exciting time to be around the apostles. Even some of the, the political leaders didn't want to mess with them. Although eventually Nero ended up uh, putting to death both Peter and we believe uh, it's a possibility he put to, put to death Paul as well. But when you think through this, this is where in our text, so let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inspired, infallible word. I want to be able to read the first 12 verses of James. The first words that were written in the New Testament that the church of Jesus Christ would have received. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, I believe, he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to the people that have been dispersed, the folks who understand who Christ is. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect on you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Verse 5. But if any of you is lacking right now, if you're lacking wisdom, you should ask of God, which, by the way, is prayer. You should ask of God, who gives generously to all who re without reproach, and he answers prayer, and it will be given. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, without, uh, not, uh, with no doubting, or without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Because he's a double-minded man, he's unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And let the rich boast in his humiliation. Because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and it withers the beautiful grass. And its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast. That's the word of encouragement for this year. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. The phrase that I wanted to pick from this text is to God be true in 22. And although it's very possible that this was written in 42, that was 0042, uh, it is possible that he wrote it back in those days. James was, was the one who... Um, who communicated first, as I indicated. But for us today, I want to make that application in 22. To God be true. May it be for all of us. May we be blessed as we remain steadfast. 
Now let me finish that text up for you and you'll be able to see some of the application. Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under their trials. For when that person has stood the test, that person will receive something called the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres who remains steadfast through all these various kinds of trials, as mentioned in verse 2. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we realize that, that we understand, James, by experience. Oh, Lord, I pray that we might understand spiritually as the Word of God is proclaimed. As we see the way, the truth, and the life, may we find ourselves not only fascinated by it, but may we fall in line with it. Lord, I pray that we will not be hearers of the Word only, but doers of the Word because we love the word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Now, this is a new year, and uh, it's really kind of interesting that when the clock turns over and we have uh, another calendar year, I sometimes wonder, what, what is important to you? I was doing a little bit of self-reflection for us, thinking about uh, what happened in 21, you know, and it's really kind of neat when you think uh, we've seen some interesting politics. We've seen um, children born. We've seen some of our friends die. And we've seen everybody's body aging. That might be the hardest. We've seen a lot of things going on. I was, but I'm now thinking about that was last year. What about this year? Even as I walked into church today, some of you are buzzing about different things that are happening. Some of you are about to get in a car and drive away to law school, okay? Some of you are, are, are uh, telling me about how today, if you turn on the TV, you can watch your own son playing football as a starter. Some of you are talking about different things that are important to you. Those may be a couple of fun ones, but some of your situations may not be so fun. You've got meetings You've got difficult gatherings. You may, you may be dealing with uh, more funeral planning this year. There's a lot of things that 22 holds. And uh, I was just adding to the fact that if you look, uh, look politically, you're going to see that there is a big election coming, which means all, the, all of the uh, stuff that comes with it, all the paraphernalia. Uh, we see a virus that, uh, that some people think is, is going more extreme uh, there's been a lot of things happening. Uh, we see armies amassing. I don't know if you paid attention, but uh, there's been a lot of the, some of the bigger countries that have bigger militaries look like they might want to expand their territories. We see inflation uh, without an end. It's not transitory. And so when we try to buy something, you have to get double the amount of money out to pay for it. Praise the Lord, gas did come down a little bit. We see the growth of government in lots of different spheres. And we see the shrinkage of the, or I call it the impotence of the church. And even the erasure of the family. At least that's what seems to be going on in a macro sense. I pray it's not going on in the micro sense. We know that Jesus has established his church and, his, and the gates of hell will not thwart its advance. In fact, actually through persecution, through the advance of an overreaching government, you'll find that the church will begin to grow, but not in, in being polished. It will grow in its depth of faith. And the family, there is no hope for a future. 
if we don't have families with moms and dads and with the boys and girls being trained in the way they should go. It should not be a terrorist act if a parents teach people, teach their boys and girls what that ought to be done and even hold them accountable for it. Proverbs 22. Now, in this particular passage, though, uh, James begins uh, not talking about joy. He ends up talking not about trials, but he talks about something that is in connection with the joy in the trials. He talks about this concept of steadfastness. If you look there in verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith does something. It produces something. It's something that you really want, something that you really need, something that you should really cherish. It's something that changes the year in which you live in. He calls it steadfastness. And in verse 3, after he introduces this as the key component, then he says, hey, that steadfastness that you really need, that really that steadfastness that should adorn you, that steadfastness, it is going to change things. And look how he says, if, if steadfastness has its full effect on you, what ends up happening to you? You're not the same as you were. So when I ask you if you were the same from January 1st to December 31st of last year, any differences? You know, we all know that our bodies are older, they've aged. Probably our eyes don't see as good. Maybe our ears don't hear as good. But if you're little, maybe you've got grown another two or three inches. Or if you're like my little uh, granddaughter, you can put on double your weight. Can you imagine doubling your weight and be happy about it? When steadfastness has its effect, its full effect, it says you will be perfect and complete. In other words, as a child of God, you're not going to be lacking. And that's kind of interesting when you look at the text because it's very similar to what David said in Psalm 23. If the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not going to lack. It's really interesting how the, the, the steadfastness is connected to the Lord being the one who takes you through the life that you're in. When this works together for your good, you're not going to be lacking. And then in verse 5, he assumes, well, some of you may be lacking right now. Some of you may not get it. Okay, Some of you are still struggling to make sense of this, why we have to be dispersed, why we can't have heaven on earth, why people can't just get along, why, why can't we just talk about Jesus and not be persecuted? He says, if you don't understand it, in verse 5, pray. Talk to the Father about this. You know, because down in verse 21, you're going to find that, or verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights. In other words, uh, there is no shadow of turning with him. He's the good giver all the time. When we don't have what we need, when we seem to lack, we need to talk to him about it. So there we find ourselves in this particular text. Uh, we, are, we are out there in this new year and many of us are like that ship in the picture. The winds are blowing and they're, they're sending the waves in all different kinds of directions. And you want to have an ark that's really big, a little bigger than your ship. Okay? And you want to be able to, to not have to feel that, that awkwardness, the topsy-turvy, up and down, being tossed to and fro. And I want to encourage you through this year, be true to God, or to God be true in 22. No matter what comes your way, turn to him. If you lack wisdom, if you lack anything, talk to him first. 
Now, I want to explain this particular, uh, this, this phrase that I've got for you. Uh, it's pretty simple in the sense that it's all about steadfastness. I want to first tell you what it means. Secondly, I want to show you why it's so magnificent. And third, I want to explain a little of the mechanics. And uh, I'd love to spend hours on the mechanics because it's really cool to explain God's way of doing things. Because if it's left up to our own understanding, you're going to be confused. You need to search the scriptures, and James tells us how to understand this. So let's first, by looking at what it means, what is the meaning? Now, when you understand this linguistically, what is the meaning of steadfastness? It's to be steady, to endure, to persevere, to be established. You can see it in verses 3 and verses 12. In verse 3, he clearly says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces a steadfastness. It, it produces something about you that doesn't sink. It doesn't... It doesn't wither away. In fact, it actually gets stronger. Okay, And so this endurance, this perseverance comes into play. And it's very, very fascinating. I say that's linguistic uh, because when you look at the word uh, in the Greek, it, it's repeated numerous times in the New Testament. But it does give this idea of, of being steady. Now... Practically, what does the answer, what does this mean? It means that you have spiritual, it means that your spiritual intimacy with God has matured. No longer are you being tossed to and fro with every thought. Uh, I, I sometimes will tell people um, that when, when you're evaluating folks, you might say that they're just like the tide, T-I-D-E. Do you know what I mean by that? Sometimes you have high points and sometimes you have lows. Now, there's always psychology that can explain that. You can always get a label for everything. But there's many times that we are not so steady. You don't have to look very far. If you're married, just ask your partner. You, know, you can ask your kids. You can ask the person sitting next to you. Are you the same? Is your attitude, is your, is your attitude steady? Is your emotional state steady? Is your financial account steady? I mean, when you look at it, we have a lot of times that go up and down. In fact, in this world, we've been told that when it comes financially, you need to be thankful for the ups and the downs when it comes to the stock market. You end up making greater progress. But when you look at steadiness, I was thinking of being a rowboat out in the ocean. You know, if you're 25 miles out in a rowboat, uh, what's that make you feel? You see, and that's the way a lot of us feel like we're in waters that are over our head and we don't really know how to get where we're going. We don't even know if we started rowing, if we're rowing in the right direction. You might think you're heading to Cape May, and you may be adding, heading to, to England. <laughs> the waves themselves get stirred up, and they're pushed about by any wind that blows. <laughs> when you're looking at the waves, what makes the waves go the way they go? You know, it's, there's different physio, phys, physiological forces that are out there. But it's really interesting. If you, when, when I was a little younger trying to do body surfing, you know, trying to catch the waves, you're trying to figure out where they're coming in, what makes the bigger ones, and all that kind of stuff. But wow, when, when the illustration here in the text of Scripture, James is, is telling the people that are dispersed, hey, you know, waves, they just, they just go wherever. They're unpredictable. They're a mess. And he says, that's the way a lot of people are. And steadiness will get you through those. So we don't have to be blown about like the chaff in chapter 1 of, of Psalms. That the wind blows away. 
So today's message is really encouraging us to get an understanding of the meaning of steadfastness. Uh, I can also tell you from the text, it means that you're not double-minded. If you're steadfast, it, doesn't mean, it means that you don't keep flipping your decisions. Now, I know that there's some beauty in Americans being able to say, well, I can decide what I want to do. It's up to me. You know, we've all kind of gone through that revolution where we can decide our fate, you know, because we deserve a break anyway. You know, all those slogans that make Americans not want to be submissive to anybody. That may be true of people around the world, but I know growing up in a culture like this, we don't want anybody to tell us that we can't. Okay, now when you look at this particular text, you're finding that the double-minded person ends up being the one who says this and then flip-flops and then flip-flops and then flip-flops and then flip-flops. Now, when you see a politician, maybe they're usually professional flip-floppers. Why? Because in reality, they have a goal to get elected, and in order to get elected, they're not trying to offend anybody. They're trying to test the waters. Now, a statesman may not be so. A statesman will do what is right regardless of what the winds of popularity blow. You think about that for a moment. But here we are. We're looking at the double-minded person. Uh, the double-minded person is unbalanced, does not have a foundation, is very indecisive and absolutely inconsistent. Whew. Aren't you glad you're not married to a double-minded person? They might decide that they're not married anymore. They might even decide that they're a different gender. They might even decide that they're rich when they're not and spend a lot of money on credit cards. They might decide that life's not worth it anymore. A lot of people are making this double-mindedness. They, they're not steady. And why do they have the double-mindedness? Because they're listening to multiple voices. They're going through various different kind of trials, and they're trying to test the waters and the seas to figure out what's going on. So steadfastness is somebody that is not a boat that's not anchored, but it is one that is anchored. You are no longer without resources. If you are steady, then you have not, then you won't be lacking. Those of you that understand what I mean by this kind of steadiness, you face a decision that comes your way, how do you know which path to take? God has provided you with what you need. If you look at the Bible here, you're going to find here that when he says you have the steadiness in, in verses 3 and 4, for you know that the testing of your faith produces a steadiness, and the steadiness will, will have the full effect on you so that you're not lacking. Well, it's pretty neat because when you go down a little bit further, you're going to find that, that, the, that God has actually given the scriptures. The word of God has been given to you. Um, and when the word of God has given to you, you're not like verse 8 where you're double-minded, unstable in all your ways. But you are able to uh, remain steadfast on the word of God. Because uh, as, it, as, it, as it clearly in the text is saying that uh, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And if you go to verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. You see, when you study the Bible, that's where it says in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't listen to the scorners or sit in the seat there or, or doesn't fellowship with the people that are being deceptive, living a godless life. But blessed is the one who delights in the word of God, in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it, how often? Day and night. 
That's where the blessing comes. And here he says the steadfastness one is the one who has the word of God, who has been given what they need so that you're not lacking to be able to make decisions. You don't have to be unstable because you can say this is the will of the Lord. It's really quite interesting when you realize how all this comes to pass. Uh, when I answer this biblically in the book of James, I've already touched on the fact that James talks about steadfastness. He connects it to uh, joy. He connects it to, um, uh, to trials, but he also connects it to completeness and maturity. And in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 11, James also says, Behold, we consider those blessed who have remained steadfast. And then he starts giving illustrations. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's really neat how James, from the beginning to the end, is focused on this whole idea of steadfastness. Now, uh, in the rest of the Bible, there, you can pick up on this on many other texts. I think of Luke 18, where there was the illustration Jesus gave about the woman who wanted something from a judge. And uh, she kept going back and going back and going back and going back and going back until the judge ended up giving her what she asked for. That was persistence. That was steadfastness. It's almost like Hannah when she prayed fervently to the Lord for a baby back in the Old Testament. Uh, there, was no, there was no holding her back. And even the preacher man, Eli, looked at her and said, you must be drunk. You are so focused. You are so into this. If I took you to 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of the chapter of the resurrection, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. You know, he's not saying, you know, just stand there and never do anything. He says, always abound in the work of the Lord. The steadfastness has to deal with having a foundation. Don't stand on sinking sand. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, this is where you put on the armor Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, that you may be able to wimp out. No. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And if you go down to verse 18, after he's gone through the different things, he says, Continue to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, keep on keeping on, as my dad would say. Now, if I took you to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, this is talking about uh, the author of Hebrews. I believe it's Paul. And he ends up explaining to people saying, hey, those of us that are believers, those of us that know our Bibles a little bit, we have a lot of witnesses. There are a lot of people that have gone before us that lined the way. We're surrounded by this great cloud of people or this great uh, mass, this, this set of people. And he says, let us also lay aside every weight and even the sin that we cling to, our pet sins. Let's get rid of those. And he says, let us run with endurance, with steadfastness. The race that is set before us. Now, that was the key thing to say, hey, we could finish right here. But I want to be able to highlight a couple more things that James tells us about steadfastness. It, it, I want, and now you know what it means. I want you to notice a little of its magnificence. Uh, some, there are some benefits that are connected to it. Uh, one of the benefits, he says, is that you have endured trials. In other words, you've, you've weathered the storm. You've gotten through the tornadoes and the hurricanes and even the fires. I couldn't believe what I saw in Colorado. Even this week, you stood the test. You're still standing. And it's interesting in verse 12, 
Part of the reason you're standing is because you have a love for God that hasn't quit. Because you see, love never gives up. Love doesn't think evil. It is not unseemly. Love is a beautiful thing. And if you have a love for God, that's part of the reason why you endure through the difficulties. And so he says here, if you endure, you're going to receive a blessing. Verse 12, if you see it in front of you, blessed is that person who has the steadfastness. Are you blessed? Or are you still feeling tossed to and fro? Are you double-minded? Are you so confused? Do you have any idea what God's will is whenever Dr. Fauci speaks or whenever the president speaks or whenever the governor speaks or whenever the pastor speaks? Do you know what the will of God is? You don't have to be tossed to and fro or pulled with every uh, little voice or gone with every wind that blows that way or that way or that way. Revelation 2.10 echoes what is told us in verse 12. He says that there is a crown of life for those who remain steadfast. Now, I don't know how that crown's going to look, whether it's going to have 12 points or whether it's going to be giant. I don't really care. It just tells you that God is, is affirming steadfastness. God is applauding steadfastness. There is a blessing experienced in this life of not being driven by the winds that blow. We're not blown off course. We're not blown off course with several multiple examples, and I just want to highlight them for you in the text today. Um, you're not blown off course by, uh, by just being a listener only. Verse 22 says, don't be a hearer only, but also a doer. You're not blown off course from jealousy and selfish ambition, chapter 3. Uh, you're not blown off course by adaptations, in other words, where people just try to conform to this world. Uh, in chapter 4, he says, friendship with the world is an enmity with God, and it leads you to a double-minded standard. You can't be both with God and with man. You can't have one foot in and one foot out like the hokey pokey. You might try to turn yourself around and bend this way and that and be gumby, but you need to be on the Lord's side. You're not blown off course by busyness. If you go to chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, uh, where the people say, I will travel and I'll do this kind of business and I'll be doing this and that. Uh, and that's when he says, wait, wait, wait. What is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a moment. He says, it's business and busyness. If you are steadfast, then your business is not going to get in the way and your busyness is not going to prevent you from serving the Lord. You see, it's interesting that when you have this steadfastness, you don't get caught up in everything else. And you're not blown off in chapter 5 by, I call it, aging. In chapter 5, it seems like uh, um, this wisdom book, which James is writing as the half-brother of Christ, he ends up acting a little bit like Solomon writing Ecclesiastes. And if you remember Solomon's famous word in Ecclesiastes is, vanity, everything is vanity. You know what that means. Basically, it comes down to this. I was young, and now I'm old, and I can't take anything with me. All this stuff I labored for, all this job that I tried to get the top position, you know, all the bank accounts that I tried to amass, and all my investments that I tried to multiply, you know, all the kids that I tried to spend time with, and he's there standing there as an old man saying, man, I can't take it with me. You almost wonder, is anything worth anything? 
And that's where you have James, where he, he gives you this impression in chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 3. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. He says, you've laid up all your treasures to these last days. But he says, now the people are unhappy with you and they want to take it away. And you can't even hang on to it because you're an older guy. You can't, you just can't do it. You can't keep it. Now, when I look at all of these things, this is the stable man is not blown away with the winds that push in all these different directions. James answers this question with the whole book, not just with a phrase. It's quite interesting. Um, and that's why in verse 11 of chapter 5, he comes right back to it, which I've read it to you before. Behold, we consider those blessed who have remained steadfast. They haven't blown with the winds that have come. I want to wrap things up with the third point. What are the mechanics? How does this work? Okay, steadfastness comes to people who already have faith. Now, if you don't have faith, then you can't have steadfastness. Now, you may be in a rut, and you may be stuck in your quicksand, your quagmire, whatever you want to call it, but the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to them. So if you don't get it, it's because you don't have it. You don't have this commodity called faith. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, there is a text there that everybody knows. You love the first part, for by grace you have been saved. That's awesome. But in Ephesians 2, the next phrase tells us you're saved with this grace, this gift, because the word grace means gift. It's an undeserved favor. Okay, So God gives you this commodity called faith. And if you look at the text, uh, that faith is a gift from God. It's not by works, lest anyone be able to say, I, I deserved it, I bought it, I inherited it. No, 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 no. It's one of those perfect gifts that comes from the Father above. James chapter 1, verse 18. When God extends faith to you, God does something to you that, that, he, that, that you need. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six, 6, it's impossible to please God. You need faith. But where do you get faith? You weren't born with faith. You, don't have a, you have a faith engine, yes, but it doesn't work until God initiates it. And when God pulls the string or pushes the button, I always like to use it as an engine. When God gets your faith engine running, wow, it's pretty neat what can happen. But when God puts faith in you, then faith becomes the prerequisite for steadfastness. Because this, is, this steadfastness is people who have been given the blessing of faith. Scripture teaches that faith is a gift. Faith, our steadfastness also comes with trials. You won't have steadfastness of faith unless you've gone through a trial or two. How many of you have prayed that you'd have no trials in 22? I kind of did. I call it a space of grace. I know that some trials are coming, but wouldn't it be great if we had a whole year with no trials? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if we had one whole day? I mean, I'm joking, but I'm, it's bad when I wake up and I have a bad hair day. You know, the one standing up. Steadfastness comes when you have real trials. That, that exercise faith has the quality of steadfastness. Maturity then is noticed with a completeness that you are walking with your Lord in a sense of perfect harmony. Not sinless perfection, but unhindered communion. Maturity is noticed when you are not asking for more and more and more, but you have that satisfaction of Psalm 23, that because the Lord's taking care of me, I'm not lacking. 
He's given me that green pasture. He's gotten me besides the still waters. Yes, I've had my moments of still. But then he also wakes me up and he says, I got this task for you. Uh, follow me down this path. And even though it goes through some valleys, and that means there's also some hills, and some of those are difficult, he calls them the valleys of the shadow of death. Sometimes I think it's a little worse when you go a little further. He says, you sit at table with my enemies. I still struggle with that one. Who would want to sit at table with your enemies? But I think the implication there of that text really is, is that we live in a world that is hostile to us. We, we go grocery stores, we go to restaurants, we go to all these places, and there's a lot of people who don't love Jesus. And they are not on Jesus' team. Now, praise God, they're not as bad as they could be, but we really would love to see them come to, into the way, the truth, and the life by meeting the Christ. Steadfastness is the grounds from which you can be told to count it all joy. You cannot see the trials as a friend if you did not already have matured eyes and a tested faith. When, when James looks at these people that are dispersed, when James opens up this epistle about 10 to 15 years after Jesus left, James looks at these folks and you can almost see them battered and beaten. They're, they're like Andrew Brunson, the, uh, the, the pastor over in Turkey that was in prison for representing Christ. You just feel like nobody wants you. You're a remnant. He says, my brothers, count it all joy. Count it all joy. I wrap things up when I think of Acts chapter 5, where the disciples, they did. They modeled it. They said, hey, we count it all joy that we get to represent the Christ. And they were persecuted. They were put in prison. You know, over and over, Peter and James and John and the different ones that, that, were, that were wrongly accused and falsely beaten. Pretty interesting. They rejoiced that they were identified with the Christ. They were able to count it all joy. And their maturity in their relationship and communion with God was so deep that they didn't worry what the government said. And they didn't really even worry what their neighbor said. They didn't feel that they were shamed over and over because they were unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I've wrapped this up, as I said, with I can't leave Jesus. I could take you to verse after verse, and i got to show you a few of them. That there was one greater than Moses... You see, this whole idea of steadfastness, even though it's volitional, and even though I wanted to get into the mechanics of it a little bit more, to be able to show that, yes, it's something you choose. It's something that you embrace, and you freely do it. God doesn't put puppet strings on you and pull you and pull you and pull you. Yes, I believe in irresistible grace, but God never violates the will that he gave you when you were created in his image. But how beautiful it is when you see the truth and you go to it, almost like a bug flying to the light. They can't help it. It's so cool. But unlike a bug flying to a light that gets zapped, when we fly to Christ, we find a safe haven. We enter into the ark of his protection. So no matter what the world does to us, we know that great is thy faithfulness. And if you go to some of these texts that I'll read for you, the one who is faithful and just, it is, uh, I was pretty impressed these days by... Um, Exodus 34, one of the first places where it comes up 
I almost always quote verse 7 because that's where he says he will by no means clear the guilty. He's going to punish sin. But in verse 6, he says, The Lord passed before Moses and said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, you're going to find yourself being more steadfast when you hang out with your steadfast Savior. In Psalm 136, the psalmist tells us, and uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Next verse. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Next verse. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. Next verse. To him alone does great, who does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. Next verse. Five. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. Are you getting the point? He has a steadfast love for us. He entered into a covenant while we were yet dead in sins and trespasses. Uh, even when he looked at Adam and Eve, he knew that we were going to sin. But the Bible says he entered into a covenant of works that we broke. Adam broke it, so the second Adam was able to keep it. And that covenant of works meant that if someone would keep it, then he would live forever. God has a steadfast love to truth, and he holds on to that covenant promise. And that's why if we're in the second Adam, if we're in Christ, if we understand that Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins, and the beautiful thing about Jesus, unlike anybody else, is that he rose from the dead. Death could not hold its prey. Jesus, my Lord. That if we are in Christ, then we're raised new. And when you understand it, that's why we can count it all joy, because the life that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Do you know the Son of God? Are you resting in him? You should be able to count whatever comes to you in 22 as all joy. And the only way you'll do that is if you're not giving way to the double-mindedness of sin. Now, if you're partying on with sin, if you're getting into drunkenness and orgies and all the things that are mentioned in, in the latter times of Paul's writing there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says in the latter times people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self uh, they'll be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And that children will be un unobedient. And there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be all this fun stuff. I want to encourage you. As people who have faith, who are children of God, we're not supposed to be like that world. Friendship with the world is at enmity with God. Paul said it, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see how all these things fit together? Blessed are those who are resting in what Christ has done. You have a crown of life prepared for you. And whatever suffering you face this year, you'll be like the boat in the picture. You'll navigate these waters and they'll only make you stronger in your relationship with Jesus. You'll run to him faster instead of slower. You'll be on your knees before you start saying curse words you'll be able to say amen because you're listening to the right voices instead of following the words of the world. Lord Jesus, there are many of us that are pondering this at the beginning of the year. I do pray that you will stir our souls, that we will be quick to hear your voice, but not only to be hearers of the word, but doers. Oh Lord, I pray that you might begin or that you might perfect that work that you started in us, Philippians 1, 6, 
We are so grateful that you have not left us without a witness. You've not left us without the word of God. You've not left us without a preacher. You've not left us without someone who's been sent to us to show us the good news. Lord, all of these things, including you sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts that we might cry out, Abba, Father, because we know you. And we are the children of God by faith. Oh, Lord, I pray that in whatever comes, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever our lots, you've taught us to be steadfast in Christ. It is well inside our souls. In Jesus' name.